Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 88, reading from verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles. and My life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Why do we have Psalm 88 in the Bible? If the book of Psalms is the songbook of Israel, why is there a song to be sung in the temple of God to his praise and worship that has no comfort, no hope, no instruction, no promise, no light at all? Why would we have a psalm that doesn't explain to us why the psalmist is suffering so much. It may surprise you, but a third of all the psalms are psalms of lament. Sometimes they lament a national tragedy. Sometimes a personal one. Sometimes they lament that God seems far away. And sometimes they lament that he has come close to judge them. But two psalms have no comfort, no hope, no light. Psalms 39 and 88. Psalm 88 begins with a cry of desperation and ends with the word darkness. Notice how the psalmist describes his experience. He feels as if he's being buried alive. Verse 4. He feels that he's going down into a pit. Verse 5, he says he's like the slain that lie in the grave. He feels 
as if he's constantly drowning. He says here in verse 7, you have overwhelmed me with all your waves. In verse 17, he says the terrors of God surround him all day long like a flood. He feels utterly abandoned. Verse 8, you've caused my friends to shun me. Verse 18, you've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. It's bad enough that the psalmist has been abandoned by friends and family alike, but much worse than that is that he feels abandoned by God. He cries out to God day and night in verses 1 and 2, and there's no reply from heaven. Verse 14, he says, Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? He feels that God is against him. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. It's not just that he feels that God has abandoned him, but that he is assaulting him. He feels that he's in deep darkness. Verse 6, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in regions dark and deep. And what's so bad about this situation is that this darkness is not simply on the outside, but on the inside. Someone could cope with dark on the outside, but when it's dark on the outside and the inside, that darkness is unbearable. The real problem is that he can't escape. Verse 8, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. So why do we have Psalm 88 in our Bibles? Firstly, to teach us that the righteous do suffer. The title of this psalm tells us that the author is Heman the Ezrahite, one of the sons of Korah. Who were the sons of Korah? Well, in number 16, we see Korah rebelling against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. God sends a judgment on him and all of his followers, and they are swallowed up by the earth. But in Numbers 26, we are told that some of his sons did not side with him. They stayed faithful to God. Haman comes from a godly line. And he's a man of great responsibility. He's responsible for the singing in the temple. 1 Chronicle 6 tells us that David appointed Heman to sing in the temple. In 1 Chronicles 25, 6, we're told that he had 14 sons and three daughters. Poor wife. Fourteen sons and three daughters, and they all sang together in the temple. Then, in the inauguration of the temple, in 2 Chronicles 5.12, there's Haman singing with his family. This is a godly man with a godly family from a godly line with a godly ministry to God. And he is suffering this much. He is suffering so badly that he says in verse 15, 
that he's been afflicted and close to death from his youth. This is not a flash in the pan. This is not some one-day wonder. From his youth, Herman has been going through the most terrible suffering. He feels as if he's dying. Verse 3, my soul draws near to the grave, which tells us that a godly person can suffer, suffer deeply, and suffer long, and still be godly. There are many in the church today who will say, if you have enough faith, if you have enough of the Holy Spirit, you will never be sick or poor or unhappy. You'll never suffer any evil. That is a lie of the devil. Heman was a godly man. Job was the most righteous man of his generation, and look what he suffered. The only sinless son of God was called what? Man of sorrows. How did he die? Unjustly, hanging on a cross. Godly people suffer. But if we're being honest... Don't we all secretly think that if we're godly, we won't? If we serve God in the church, if we're active, if we pray and read our Bibles every day, if we do what is right in the eyes of God, do we not expect that things will go well with us? We criticize those who would preach what we call the prosperity gospel, but often we believe it ourselves. We think that the Christian ought to be healthy, happy, and wealthy. And when bad things happen to godly people, we are thrown into confusion. But Lord, haven't I done what you want? Haven't I done this for you? Haven't I been faithful to you? This psalm is saying that godly people suffer. That sometimes in this life, things don't get better. Sometimes there isn't a happy ending in this life. Sometimes the righteous will suffer unjustly. And if you're suffering, you need to know something this evening. You are not alone. Herman was a godly man and suffered this much. When people pass through trials and suffering, how, how do we normally respond? We normally think, why me? Why again? We wonder whether we're the only ones who are going through a bad time. Herman tells us, you're not alone in your suffering. Godly people do suffer. Secondly, this psalm teaches us how to face our sufferings. There are two things that helped Heman to bear his terrible burden. He knew his God. In verses 1, 9, 13, 14, he uses one name for God, Lord. 
the covenant name of God, the name that God gave to Israel via Moses at the burning bush, the name, I am who I am, the name that says that God is eternal, the name that says that God relies on no one and nothing, is all-powerful, all-sovereign. He is a great king. Above all, he is faithful to his promises. Again and again and again. Haman doesn't use a general word for God. He uses the name of God that tells us this is the God who keeps his word. This is the God who is on the throne. This is the God who has been good to his people Israel. This is the God who has a plan to save a multitude without number from every tribe and tongue and nation for heaven. Haman knows God. And it's his knowledge of God that keeps him. It says in Daniel 11.32, The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. But how many of us really know our God? We know about our God. We know many things about him and about the Bible. But do we know God? There is a world of difference between knowing a lot about God and knowing God personally, having a deep, intimate relationship with him. That when tragedy and trial strikes, you go to him. When you know your God, you will stand firm and take action. And he prayed to his God. He cries out day and night, verse, night, verse 1. He calls upon God and spreads out his hand every day in verse 9. He prays to God in the morning, verse 13. He doesn't put a mask on. He doesn't pray with religious language. He doesn't tell God what he thinks God wants to hear. He tells God the agony of his soul. He brings his questions. Why have you hidden your face from me? Do you pour your soul out to God? Or do you hide behind a mask of religion? Do you pray formal prayers or do you not pray at all when suffering comes? Haman shows us how to stand, knowing our God and pouring out our heart and soul before him, even when he gets no reply. Thirdly, this psalm teaches us what to seek in suffering. Verses 10 to 12 are a complaint. Heman reasons with God. He says in verse 10 that the dead can't raise, rise up to praise him. Verse 11, no one can praise God for his goodness and faithfulness if they are dead. In verse 12, no one can experience God's miracles and goodness if they're in the grave. Do you notice his focus? It's not just God, take away my agony. But God, cause your name to be glorified. Cause people to know your goodness. Cause 
people to taste and see that you are good. It's right, it's biblical, it's natural that we ask God to take away our suffering. It's right for us to ask God to intervene in the most terrible circumstances of our lives. But there is something higher to seek than God taking away your problem. That God might be glorified in and through your problem. My question to you is, when suffering strikes, what's your purpose? What's your goal? What are you praying for? What are you seeking? That your trouble should just go away? Or that God would be glorified? The worship leader of Israel wants God to be worshipped through his suffering. Do you? Fourthly, this psalm teaches us that nothing can take away your greatest treasure. Heman has lost his friends, his family, his closeness to God, but he has not lost one thing, his salvation. Verse 1 starts the whole thing off. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Or in other translations, you are the God of my salvation. Even though he feels that God's wrath is on him, even though he feels that God is against him, even though he feels abandoned and afflicted in every way, he's not lost the greatest treasure, his salvation. Can you imagine starting a complaint like this? You imagine writing to the BBC with a complaint. Maybe their coverage of the war in Ukraine or something. Steer, sir, and then you launch into your complaint. How does he start? Oh, God of my salvation. He has lost everything in the world, but he has not lost the most precious thing, which is his salvation. It doesn't matter how we feel. It matters whether we are saved or not. Because if you know that you are saved, you know, however bad you feel, that nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know that no one can steal you from God's hand. You can lose everything. Health, loved ones, money, everything. But you can never lose your salvation in Christ Jesus. And that is the greatest thing. Your sins are still forgiven. You are still at peace with God. You still have his spirit in you you are still going to spend an eternity in heaven with him. And nothing and no one will ever take that from you if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ.
this psalm also challenges us to love God unconditionally. Think of Job. Do you remember the devil's accusation towards God? The devil came to God one day and says to him, well, you, Job only loves you because you protect him. He has good things in his life. Take away your protection. Take away the good things from his life, and he will abandon you. So God took away his protection, and Job lost it all. His children, his houses, his wealth, his wife, who said, curse God and die. And how does he respond? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He loved God unconditionally. How often do we love God with conditions? If you just do this for me, if you keep doing that for me, if you keep my loved ones, if you do this, provide that, I will love you and serve you and do anything for you. What Psalm 88 is challenging us to do is to give ourselves to God without condition. If you had everything that is precious to you taken away from you this night, would you still love him? Heman has lost everything and he still keeps going back to God, even though God is not replying. Ultimately, this psalm points us to Jesus. The darkness that Haman experienced seemed to be absolute, but it was not. The agony that he went through, things looked as if they couldn't get any worse, but they could. Because Haman's sufferings are just a shadow of what Christ went through on the cross. The darkness Heman went through is truly awful to read. And it is nothing compared to the darkness that Christ passed through as he died on the cross. Abandoned by God, judged for sins, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the curses of God's law being put on him. All of God's anger and wrath being poured out until there was not one drop left. And he was alone on the cross going through hell that you and I might go to heaven and never suffer the fate of hell. But here's the question. Do you know that you are going to heaven? 
Christ has taken the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. A darkness far deeper than anything any human being can ever describe. He suffered hell that we might go to heaven. But have you come to him? Have you turned from your sin? And have you placed your trust in him? He experienced a darkness so much greater than this that you wouldn't have to. Not for a day, not for a week, but for eternity. That you might have a joy that is beyond description or understanding forever with him. But have you come to him? If you haven't come to him, and will you come tonight? And it points to another thing. It tells us that Christ understands. He understands you. In your suffering, in your stress, in your worry, in your hurt, in your grief, in all that you are going through, there is one who understands Perfectly, because he's been there before. And he's suffered so much worse. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch woman interned in a Nazi prison camp. And she wrote this of her experiences. There is no pit so deep that Jesus hasn't gone deeper. Whatever you are passing through, Jesus understands. And more than that, he alone is able to help. Because he went to the cross, because he rose from the dead, he is now our great high priest. The letter to the Hebrews tells us that he is able to give us grace and mercy in our time of need. He is all you need. Whatever you are passing through, know this. You have a God who understands. And a God who is super abundantly able to be all you need him to be. And to give you all that you need him to give you. He is all we need and more. And there is no end to his resources. And that's why we need Psalm 88. To point us to Jesus. If you are passing through darkness tonight, go to him. He knows, he understands, and he is enough. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we feel that we're on holy ground. We feel that we are talking of deep and amazing things. 
We thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, has experienced a darkness far darker than even that which is described in this psalm. We thank you that the greatest human horrors of this world are nothing compared to the horrors that he went through on the cross for sinners like us. Oh God, we pray that if there's anyone here tonight that has not yet turned to Christ to save them, oh God, may this be the night. And we pray for ourselves, we pray for one another, that Father, in our darkness, we would be driven to Christ, who is more than enough. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.